Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, friends and foes alike. I am the West Virginia woman, Robin Holstein of RobinHolstein.com and Holstein House, where my guests get a good night's sleep at a fair rate plus breakfast. I've been keeping house since I was 17 years old, balancing the budget and paying the bills as an army wife on the salary of a PFC stationed at Fort Hood, Texas, and as a single mother of two back home in West Virginia. Things have changed a lot since then, but I haven't forgotten what it was like. This podcast looks at society and cultural issues affecting families in West Virginia and in the United States, from food preparation and storage, gardening, home repairs, current events, and more. We'll go round the table and back in 60 minutes or less. So let's hang out and talk a while. (laughs) Hey, it's Robin. Oh my gosh, I want to try this again. I you you have no idea, no idea. I'd already done this once. I'd gone off the rails so many times. I was going to roll this into about a three-hour show before it was done. So I'm gonna try to fix it. Oh, gonna try to trim that intro back too after a few episodes. I think I'm gonna go about maybe five altogether, and then maybe try to trim it back. I kind of want to leave it a little because um, it, it it helps people who, who who have no clue about me get a get a little idea. But first, listen here. This is episode two of Holstein House podcast, premiering on Fountain Network, and Fountain member, and hopefully I get this right. Brutal Lion NFT is our first episode supporter. Yay! B-R-U-T-A-L-I-O-N-N-F-T. I want to thank you for your value for value support. I really do. You're the first. Yay! But for the rest of you, if you found me on Fountain, I hope you will boost and clip and share with all your friends and followers. And if I bring you value, I hope you will give me value. Now, I'm going to try to condense this a little bit. I'll I'll be honest with you. I get uh, a little uh, passionate about this, passionate in the I need to tell you everything and more, not necessarily passionate as in anger and, and emotion. Uh, so hopefully I won't go off the rails and, and, and go an hour into this and not leave the first <laughs> topic. Um, so under the, the category of society and culture, I just want to uh, bring this. I, I, I'm not a homesteader uh, in, in today's sense of the word. I, I have a small home on a standard suburban lot. I do have chickens and ducks, and I try to raise a small container garden each year. So like a lot of other areas of my life, I don't fit perfectly into a preconceived mold or traditional definition. So I am not a homesteader in that sense of the word. I do believe in a lot of the founding uh, traditions of homesteading. I believe in trying to... Um, provide for my family i i can i dehydrate i i I freeze i don't 
use a smoker yet. We have a little one, but I've never used it. I'm going to try that. Um, but putting up food, taking care of my family, these type of things, I do believe in them. And um, so in that sense, I identify with the homesteader lifestyle, but I don't meet the definition. But I do, you know, I want to give some history. I, this is going to be probably trying but uh, to your ears, but I, I want to try to share with you a little of my background, a little more background. This is my employment background, so that you understand why I feel I can comment on some of these topics, even though you may not think I would have a clue about some of them. And I'm going to try to give you the condensed version. I, I started working for the state of West Virginia back in 1995. And that plays in a lot of different ways because it, it gives me a perspective for, as a state employee and it gives me a perspective as the homeowner. So I can see both sides of a lot of these issues because I've been on both sides of these issues. I started working as a temporary employee through a staffing agency kind of like a manpower only it was it was a local agency but it was like manpower um the the uh commissioner of labor when i was there was a woman she was the first woman commissioner of labor she hated me she hated me because i was an outspoken republican now, I didn't march up and down the halls trying to convert people to, to re Republican causes, but I, I didn't hide from it. I was just, matter of fact, I don't care that you're a Democrat, I'm a Republican. And in 1995, West Virginia was still very heavily dominated by Democrats in our state government and the employees of state government. You were either uh, a, an independent so that you d didn't declare which side, which generally meant you were a Republican, but you wouldn't say it. Or you were a Democrat. It's just how it was at the time. But I wasn't worried about it. I it's just kind of my personality. <clears throat> and Shelby Leary hated me. Matter of fact, um, she called. She was in the uh, the lunchroom, and I, I went in there. And um, she, I don't know. She was eating coffee or something. I don't know what it what it was at the time. But I was getting ready to have lunch. And she turned around, and I mean, she didn't even have small talk. She just turned around and looked at me, and she says, you know, I really think that staffing agencies should be against the law. And I, I, I didn't miss a beat. You know, I, I looked at her, and I said, you know, the staffing agency gave me a chance when nobody else would. I've got two kids at home. I'm divorced. i got to support those kids. And I went to that staffing agency with no more skills than I had. A few, a few courses at, the, at a community college in, in typing and medical um, transcription. And so they gave me some, some additional basic computer skills. It was word perfect back in the day. And have, a, have placed me in positions where I can... I can improve my skill set I'm not gonna get that at McDonald's well she didn't like it she said well they take part of your pay 
I said, well, yeah, but they also train me. They're also giving me training. They're finding the jobs for me. They're doing a service for me. I'm okay with that. Because I don't remember now what it was. It was a very small percentage. But I want to say they took like, I don't know, 80 cents, not of every dollar, but like 80 cents an hour. So if I'm making dollars an hour you know I was clearing 420 an hour and, but I also could have got insurance medical insurance and stuff through them it was very expensive back then too and I couldn't afford it but I could have gotten it they had it it was offered but anyway she, she absolutely hated me and the um, the divisional labor office that that's the people who uh, contractors have to get their licensing from so I've, I've got some experience, and granted it's dated, but it's still experience in, in the licensing of contractors and the laws that require those licenses and dealing with contractors. And then I'm, when I finally got on full-time with the state, I had to take a civil service exam, had to, you know, apply for a bunch of them. You don't just get the first job you apply for there either. I finally got on with uh, the health department. Now, I started out in vital registrations. These are the ones that that have your your birth records your death records your marriage and your divorces and um then they regulate funeral homes and stuff too but that's not the part i worked in so i worked with with birth and death records it was fascinating when we were slow i was going through some of the really really old turn of the century birth certificates and there weren't too many overall but there was a good number to flip through just to read the fascination and you do know that if someone abbreviated the word William to WM on a birth certificate your actual legal birth name was WM it wasn't William that's just a little piece of trivia I'll throw in there for free Let's see, so I didn't, I worked there, I didn't finish my probationary period. I moved on from there because when you take the civil service exam, you can take several levels, and I had um, done that, and I moved on to, um, to the uh, uh, environmental health department. I got a position there as an office assistant, too, and while I was there, that, that office oversees, uh, uh, even still yet, um, public health sanitation which is your private uh, water wells your private septic tanks um, your um, oh in the sanitarians that go around and inspect restaurants and stuff radiation toxins and indoor air they they indoor air quality issues uh, uh, and and radiation like people who work at hospitals and dentist office and you know um, radiation exposure and things like that environmental engineering that's your public water systems and uh, things like that public sewage systems and then I, I was there all oh, just short of two years and then I moved over to the Division of Rehabilitation Services under the Department of Education and Arts which neither here nor there that part uh, I was the secretary for staff development unit over at the division of rehabilitation services and I was there for a couple of years too I, I was very strategic in my moves while I was there because what you find with state and probably federal employees but I know state is that they rise to the highest level of incompetence and then they sit there till retirement and so it bottlenecks for anybody else it makes it very difficult to move around 
uh, or, or to advance. And so what I would do is I would, um, I would hang out someplace I'd learn. And after a couple years, I'd think, can I advance here? And if I cannot, what's my next step? So Division of Rehabilitation was the last civil service job I held. I applied for and was hired at the State Conservation Agency, but it wasn't civil service, and I could have been let go at any time, just like any other employee out there in the world. And the, now, in other states, the, 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 what we call in West Virginia the State Conservation Agency is called the Soil and Water Conservation Service, I think. Uh, but in West Virginia, there was a smart aleck legislator that wanted to know how much soil and water they conserved. and. Anyway, they ended up changing her name. But I worked there for seven years, and I left in, in uh, uh, 2007. And um, I worked, uh, I was shuffled around partially through reorganization. I got shuffled quite a bit through reorganization to different directors, um, assistant directors, I think is technically what their titles were. And... Um, I worked in all, there was like three different parts of the office, and I worked in all three of them at one time or another, but my last two years there were working for Carolyn Hefner. Um, well, I worked in, one that is needs to be mentioned is I worked in under Russ Campbell and Water Resources. Water Resources handled flooding, uh, dam constructions, um, uh, stream blockages and things and so if we had uh and while i was there there were major floods that rolled through west virginia and um i worked at several of the emergency off uh, temporary emergency offices that were set up to to manage uh the staff and to manage the calls in for uh, blockages and damage and coordination with the nrcs and i worked on um, the committee that built a uh, uh, a proposal to the legislature to uh, help mitigate flood disaster and I worked uh, I actually did a lot of the hardcore hard writing on it myself and my immediate supervisor we did uh, we actually constructed took from the notes you know and I, I would take the the big you know those big post-it notes that they make for use for meetings and they're like giant easel size and you stick them all over the place and you write on them I would gather all of those up and I would type them all up and then my supervisor would go through and he'd adjust and tweak things and, and reorder things a little bit because he had a little more expertise in, in that kind of area and then I would type all that back up and it went into the hard document and we'd email it back and forth with the Corps of Engineers and the NRCS and I mean there just was a lot of coordination and we produced this massive binder and at one time, it was listed on the website. It was considered a public document that people could download. And they, they could. But I don't think it's up there anymore. It was not adopted. The very governor that tasked us to create the document would not present it to the legislature because we were very frank about some of the changes that had to be made within uh, state agencies' uh, responses to flooding and the way they were designing some things that things had to change if they wanted like you can't just stuff a strip mall on top of the mountain and not expect that storm water to to not cause damage somewhere so part of our uh, 
guide was how to include more for lack of a better term green space more grasses more things that help absorb some of that water and it hurts some feelings somewhere I don't remember what it was now it's been too long ago but anyways I was I was instrumental in in working with that and under Carolyn um, I was a legislative specialist and I, I did a lot of drafting of, of language f uh, for for new legislation I worked with a lot of the uh, um, farm committees uh, and uh, help them draft legislation. I, I helped develop a lot of training on some new legislation after we got it passed on how to implement the legislation. And I was the individual uh, who who created the congressional tours and, and I'm I'm hesitant because unless you're it's kind of like if you're not in that world you don't I don't want to use jargon and I'm trying to think of good words that just anybody listening would understand we we did congressional tours which were exactly what they sounded like we brought our con congressional representatives into areas of the state where the um, conservation programs were implemented so if we were we were building a new uh, dam on Hughes's Creek and we would bring them to see you know that dam but in the process they're not just gonna come down for that I mean and, and you can't get there from here but most of these projects are way out in the boonies so what I did is I worked with we we would choose you know which district turn it was and so I would contact the the individual um, uh, in, e in each of our districts, and I and I'd be working with them. Like Karen, I'd say, Karen, you know, we're going to be in your district this year, and um, we need to see, you know, Howard Creek this, and we need to see uh, Potomac, and we need to see Chesapeake Bay, and we need to see a couple other things. What do you recommend? And and okay where are the places we're going to put them and is there anybody there close that you know is there a bus like a Greyhound bus place is there a place we can rent uh, you know the 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 large crew vans what are they 16 person vans or nine person vans or whatever they are um, you know can we rent those what's where's the hotels located and then we I'd sit down with Carolyn and we'd plot the order that we would hit things we make a big loop in that district and you know we we coordinate I'd coordinate you know getting them fed and then on the day on on the day that we left to the day that we got back I kept the stopwatch and I'm like <laughs> somebody called me a mule skinner <laughs> I thought it was great because I knew exactly what they meant um, because you know if it was 805 and we were supposed to leave at 8 I was rounding people up come on guys we gotta go we're behind even our congressional delegation <laughs> I went up to Shelly Capito's uh, staffer at one point, and I said, "Hey, Todd, we got to go get her out of there," and he'd have to go and get her. <laughs> it was great, but it was good fun, and it was exhausting. And but I, I had a blast with it, and I was good at it too. I was really good at it. But I left there. They, uh, I, I was uh, uh, being trained as an assistant director, an assistant. 
yeah, six, assistant director. Carolyn was a director. I was being trained as assistant director. And uh, all of a sudden, the training stopped. I stopped being sent to meetings. And uh, I, I was scheduled for vacation. I, I was at Denver. I went to Denver. I, I was went to a conference that they wouldn't that they wouldn't reimburse me for, so I had to do it on my own. So I went to Denver and was there for a conference and come back. The job had been posted and filled while I was gone. So my last day before vacation was a Friday. They posted the job on Monday. It only had to be posted for three days. They took it down on th Wednesday night, closed the business, hired a guy back in Friday, a guy that had quit previously to go to work for a coal mine. And they brought him back. So it wasn't long after that I told him just to take a hike. I could take care of myself. And by that time, Wayne and I had been married. He was making good money. <laughs> I won't repeat his language, but he told him, he told me I could tell them what to kiss, that he was making enough money to support the both of us. And I said, well, I want to pay at least for my truck payment because I'd had, I bought a, a brand new 2005 Chevy Colorado. It had three miles on it the day I bought it three miles and and I you know I knew how much money I had to make so I I started Robin's desktop LLC and it's it was hit and miss for a long time but I made enough money to pay that truck payment and I had it paid off I still own the truck I love my truck that's my truck anyway so um some of the pro some of the other programs we, I worked on was the multiflora rose and autumn olive eradication programs and the lime programs and stuff. I worked directly with the farmers on those, trying to come up with plans. But the farmers, you know, they were both angry and desperate. They they were mad that the federal government had brought in these uh, these uh, invasive species, and uh, you know they were desperate to get rid of them. So they're caught between a a rock and hard place kind of they you know they're they're looking to the government for help to eradicate the very stuff that they brought in that the government brought in and there were a lot of conversations about the potential problems of uh, growing crops for fuel i mean these are these are you know serious serious uh farmers and ranchers and they would talk would talk about uh, growing um you know the particular type of corn that you grow for ethanol and and you know alternative fuels and the you know there was a lot of discussions about you know how much animal feed do you lose in the process of of converting over to uh raise corn for for fuel and how much uh human food do you displace if it's if it's if it if a farmer can make more money turning his whole all of his fields over to crops for biofuels why wouldn't he why wouldn't he and then and then you just you know there's that much less for everybody else food wise so and then, you know so here now we're starting to push for uh, more electric vehicles and we reduce the demand for the for the ethanol crop now what are you going to do and, and as we move populations to vegan diets, the demand for meat livestock is going to decrease. But the potential for pest damage is going to increase as more farmers, you know, they, they grow more of these crops. And, and 
there's more for the pests to eat and so then you get more pest pressure and then they're going to start turning to chemicals where do the chemicals come from chemical plants and those chemical plants need electricity and electricity come from coal or hydro based plants but then we're trying to force transition to alternative fuel sources you know if you if you skip the fact that that these uh that these uh solar panels need petroleum products plastics you know bioplastics are not going to last like coal and oil plastics are we try to 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 force the transition to alternative fuel sources the, the battery storages require what lithium Lithium mines in second and third world nations are, are more destructive than the strip mines in the United States. You know why? Because in the United States, a strip mines required by law to reclaim the land and return it as close as possible to its original condition. Now, yeah, if you're going to timber the whole top of the mountain, I get it. You can't plant old growth forest, which there's no old growth forest in West Virginia. Not the kind that people like to talk about. All of these mountains were stripped nearly bare back in the early part of the 1900s. Late 18, early 1900s. Anyway, today's world, it's required. They have to reclaim that land. But they don't have to over in the third world nations. So we're okay with enslaving second and third world peoples, destroying their land, which I think is still part of the same planet Earth that we're on now, so that we can pose as white-robed, holy, hyper-conscientious environmentalists. Really? When in fact, those who are pushing this insane line are no more righteous than that uh, drug lord Pablo Escobar. Think about it. We're willing to destroy third world nations for their lithium. Or maybe we won't be doing it. We're just buying the batteries. It's China or some other country that's doing all of that. It's not us. We're responsible. No, we're not. You know what? We're complicit. Anyway, now I've got a headache. Um, so home and garden. Let's talk a little bit about home and garden. Um, I need to stop that. I need a new windshield. I'm getting a new windshield tomorrow morning. Wayne drove my little Fiat 500C, which I love my little car, to Virginia and back uh, for work last summer. And on the way home, he got dinged with something that cracked the windshield. I mean, from corner almost to corner. It just went straight across there in like three places, like three fingers of cracks. And West Virginia requires an annual inspection on vehicles. And when you get that annual inspection, you get an inspection sticker on the front windshield in the lower corner on the driver's side. And when you get a new windshield, obviously, then the replacement windshield does not have that inspection sticker. And it is against the law for the company replacing your windshield to try and put that sticker back. Now, the way the stickers are made today, I don't think they can do that because they seem to peel apart. So if you get one in this time of the year, October, November, it's fine, it's solid, it's one piece until it starts rolling around to the summer and the heat 
starts causing it to peel. And you think, well, is it because it's almost a year old? Is it designed to fail after about a year so that you're forced to go get a new one? Well, no, because if you get one in May, it starts peeling in, in the summer too. So whatever it is, they start peeling apart. It's like they're a two-part sticker. But it's against the law for the windshield places to try to put one on. So um, my sticker wasn't due until before the 1st of October. So they expire at the end of the month. And so mine expired September 30th. And I've been driving on a bad sticker since then. I haven't actually, that doesn't, I have, but it sounds worse than it is because I've only had the car out on the road probably three times. It's not like I'm not driving every day. Once to eat gas and a couple times to the grocery store. Well, I took dad to the doctor yesterday. But anyway, so if I had gotten the sticker, if I'd gotten the windshield replaced when it broke, I'd be in a hole because I would have had to have a new sticker put on like three months early. Now, in the <laughs> in the big picture, it's not that much money. I mean, the sticker's like 12 or 15 I think it's $15 now. It was 12 for ages, and then they raised it. I think it's 15 now. So it's not like it's not bankruptcy territory. We're not talking hundreds of dollars there. It's just, it's just the idea of paying for the sticker before you had to have it. Because as long as it's on there, and as long as your field of vision as the driver isn't affected, they can't, they can't ticket you. Now, I can get a ticket now because I don't have a good inspection sticker. But I'm, I'm going to get that tomorrow. That dumb windshield's going to cost me about $334. And it's not before you say anything about the insurance. My, my deductible's a, quite a bit more than that. So it does it wouldn't do me any good to put it on, on the insurance. And then the sticker is about $15 or so. Um, guests are coming this weekend. I've got two young ladies coming in. One's coming in from Ohio. One's coming in from Virginia. They're friends. They're going to stay. They're going to go to a ball game while they're here. And they're staying two nights. So they'll be here tomorrow night, which is Friday and Saturday night. I'm recording this a little early, obviously, because they're going to be here. I won't have any quiet time to do that, which is another reason I would think I was talking about in the first broadcast or first episode that um, I was having to try to find a good rhythm for this. If I have guests on the day that I'm recording, if they're in the house, it's not going to be possible to record. Um, if they are out and about when I'm supposed to record, that's a different story. But if they're actually in the house when I'm going to do it, it won't work. It's just my house is too small. It just it, it just wouldn't work. So, um, And I wouldn't be leaving them alone in the house like that for long periods of time to go and, and do a recording or interview or anything. So I, I've slacked off. It's been a couple of weeks since I had anybody stay, so I've been kind of lazy and I've let some things go. So i got to really hurry this recording didn't go all that smooth today so I, I i blew up one and started over which i know you don't really have to do you can go in and cut but it, it takes me longer to cut because i'm not that skilled at it i know how but it's just not what i do day to day so it's not natural for me and so it takes a long time so now i'm way behind <laughs> i'm really way behind but uh, they'll be here tomorrow evening, sometime after 5, we think, um, based on uh, her estimates. She said she should be here 
between 5.30 and 6. So I'm figuring, man, eh, probably 5 o'clock. But I've got a lot to do to catch up. When I started the Airbnb, and I, and I really enjoy this. Now, these are young people. They're in their 20s. Uh, I just started with a few uh, photos of the room. You know, I sit here and I thought, I, I, need, I need a little extra cash. Yeah, a little extra cash. So I took some, took some pictures of the room. I had a, a, a third-generation iPhone, and at the time, even that it was old then. And um, took some pictures of the room, took some pictures of the front of the house, took some pictures of, of the common areas. And, I mean, I staged them up a little bit um, with some flowers and, and cleaned them up and stuff and did some angles so that they looked really nice and stuff. And then I posted them. I put some fresh sheets on the bed. I put some uh, fresh... Uh, clean comforter on the bed I already had an old thrift shop television kind of it was it was flat panel but it was still kind of th thick but I mean it wasn't huge it was still like I don't know 13 inch or whatever they are um, but I hooked that up to an aerial antenna run the scan got the channels wrote down what the channels were typed that up put that by the bedside wrote down what the Wi-Fi password was so that they would have it put a little booklet together and you know boom there we go I, I didn't spend a dime on anything. I did not spend a dime on anything. I had spent some time reading and researching, but I, I didn't spend a dime on anything when I first opened the calendar. And I used the extra income to, to offset some of the inflationary prices we're experiencing now or to go out to eat. My garden, I have another batch of sprouts started this time. I have some mung beans, which really seem to do good. I'm using the last of the peas that didn't do all that well last time, but you know, just gonna try to finish them off instead of throwing them out. Some radish and some broccoli. The radish have already, I mean, I just started, I just soaked them last night. I gave them a 12 hour soak in um, distilled water. They're already trying to sprout. I mean, they're already breaking um, the shell a little bit and stuff. You, you can already tell, you know, they all gone. Some of them have gone from the brown color that's the that's the radish seed to, you know, a, a greenish where they where they've already popped and swollen a little bit. And the broccoli, I've never used. I've never tried the broccoli yet. Some of them look like they're trying to sprout. I, I don't know. These are in jars, by the way. These are in jars. These are not in soil. I haven't yet got my soil thing put together and that's my fault but I've been doing a lot of reading on a lot of different other topics and um, I just don't have it ready so I created my own sprouting jars I don't I don't know if I told you that yesterday or yesterday not yesterday in the previous edition uh, or not um, I have some mason jars and rings and I cut some cross stitch fabric uh, canvas to to fit for the screens and a couple cheap easels and uh, a couple flexible disc, dish caddies and um, just put it together. It's working fine. I did move my strawberry plants into the basement. Remember I told you that I was setting up a spot down in the basement and actually what it is, it's an old shower stall. The previous original owners had built a shower stall and <coughs> excuse me, whatever, whatever reason they um it, it's it's been shut down it's not operable there's no water going to it the drain's been um, cemented closed and stuff so it's just the 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 um the shape of it's still there 
So I, I put my grow light in there, I put my reflective material in there, and I put a table in there, and I brought my ferns. I said, I've got these really big ferns that I bought at the farm market last spring. I want to try to save those because those dumb things are so expensive. It's crazy. So if I can save them, then I've saved some money. If I don't save them, I'm no worse off. But I brought those in. I did get a grow light from uh, the big box store up the street. Uh, I think it might not be set right. I might have to uh, unplug it and replug it to, to reset it because I, I don't think it kicked off. It should be set on 16 hours, but I went down to check this morning. It should not have been on. It was already on. Maybe I just didn't write the time down right. I may have got that all out of whack, but um, I just I just don't think it, it kicked off. I may be wrong, but I just don't think it kicked off. Um, really quick, I, I mentioned before that this is the second uh, episode of the Holstein House podcast premiering on the Fountain Network. If you found me on Fountain, I hope you'll boost and clip and share with all your friends and followers. If I bring you value, I hope you'll give me value. So I wanted to get that in real quick. See, one of these days I'll have like real stuff to put in those spots. You know, sponsored by blah. Or better than sponsored by, you know, here's 15 people who found, who, who gave value for value for our last episode. And I'll just rattle them all off and it'll be great. And in turn, you know, because as I, as I get more, I can, I can give more. I'll, I'll share the love. Okie dokie. Now let me touch on a couple of national news headlines. People, 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 what is wrong with you? Look, I'm in West Virginia. I'm not in Pennsylvania, but I have got to tell you that that Fetterman guy is not qualified. He wasn't qualified before his stroke and he's sure not qualified after his stroke. He's a basement-dwelling, Cheeto-eating, spoiled mommy's boy, in my opinion and belief. Now, having worked for the Division of Rehabilitation Services, see, I told you all that behind the scenes where I used to work stuff was for a reason. And, and I'm no doctor. I am no doctor, by the way. I'm not giving any health advice or anything like that. I'm not a financial guideline person either, so I don't give any financial advice. Nothing like that. Uh, and having, after, you know, I've worked for the Vision Rehabilitation Services, I'm not a doctor, and having seen just how wonderful the advancements in treatments and technologies have been that allow people living with disabilities to do amazing things, I'm quite comfortable in telling the world that I do not believe he is capable of handling the demands of the United States Senate there. Somebody said it. People in Pennsylvania... I'm sorry you have to choose between him and Dr. Oz. But I'm telling you, he's not able to do the job. Vote accordingly. Now, Net Zero. Net Zero used to be an internet service provider. Do you remember it? Are you that old? I remember it. Used to have a Net Zero account. It was great. For what it was worth for, for for what it was and then it was just beaten into submission like so many things are the big boys with the money big players the big banks big financiers choke you out 
So now there's this thing called the Net Zero Banking Alliance. Oh, God. The Net Zero Banking Allowance is the United Nations jackboot. It is a United Nations jackboot. Bank of America, Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan Chase, Morgan Stanley, and to my surprise, Wells Fargo are all members of it. What's the purpose of the Net Zero Banking Alliance? Well, let me tell you, the purpose is to stop lending to any company engaged in fossil fuel related activities. Any company related to fossil fuel activities. So this ties right around back to my earlier comments on agriculture. If a farmer has an oil lease on his property, or in West Virginia here a few years ago, against my wishes, because I did contact my representatives and express my views on it, they passed a law about forced... Um, Oh, rats, here I go with the brain farts again. Uh, forced compliance, where if, if my neighbors all, and this usually meant acreage, it didn't mean like down in town in a couple of lots, but if my neighbors uh, all have uh, uh, mineral rights and there's natural gas, well, if my neighbors all have natural gas pockets under their property and... Um, a gas drilling company, a gas company comes in and says, you know, we want to drill, we want to drill f for the natural gas and we're going to put the paddock over here and it will be the platform or whatever all they do. I've seen these, they're ugly. I just, I don't know what all the words are for all the parts and pieces. Um, and we're going to horizontal drill and we're going to tap all five of you. But the guy, number three guy in the middle says, nope, 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 nope. You don't, you don't tap my property. You don't tap my resources. They have to, he has to, he can be forced to do it. And the West Virginia Supreme Court said he could be forced to do it. Now, look here. He didn't want to do it. Now he's being forced to do it. That is considered a fossil fuel related activity. And let's say he has a big old bank loan with Bank of America to take care of his, his agriculture company. Now Bank America can shut him off, cut him off money. He can lose everything he's got because there's fossil fuel-related activities going on underneath his property, of which he would have been compensated even though he didn't like the idea of participating. They would have paid him for it. And it could be oil, it could be natural gas, it could be fracking, it could be any of those things that relate to fossil fuel. Now look, any of you guys remember when Bank of America was outed for, for not requiring certain people to have an actual ID when they opened a bank account? They didn't have to have a social security number to open a U.S. bank account. 
I remember it. I remember it a little longer than the media does, but I remember it. Look, people, pull your money. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not telling you you're going to make money or lose money or any of that kind of stuff. I'm telling you, pull your money out of these banks, the Bank of America, Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan Chase, Morgan Stanley, and Wells Fargo. I didn't know Wells Fargo was part of it until uh, this week. And so I have a small, a small investment thing. And it's a long story. It, it doesn't even have two grand in it. But in Wells Fargo that I'll be trying to find somebody to help me resolve that. With the, the least amount of, of hit on my taxes as possible before December 31st. Now that's something you can do, people. That's something, you know, we, we can't dictate to China what they you know you and I we can't dictate to China what they do or don't do but we can do this we can pull our money out of those stupid banks and stop this insanity and when they ask why tell them tell them that they're a UN jackboot and you don't want any part of it see you can get your point across without foul language which leads me to religion which is the last topic of the day well I'm struggling. Not only am I struggling, but so is my little church. My local church, like most of West Virginia, we're an old congregation. I'm the youngest member right now, and I'm 57. We've lost a lot of members to death in the past eight years, and just this year we lost three because they moved out of the, out of the area. Two went out of state. They went back to Indiana where their family's from. One moved... Uh, so far down out of this county that it, it's ridiculous to even try to drive it. So now we're facing a choice of whether to fight on or close up shop, which there's a lot of churches struggling with that. And I've been trying to buy time at our church for a couple of years before COVID. So to keep our church active during COVID, I convinced the pastor that we had at the time to live stream on Facebook. He was hesitant because he's not, you know, a camera guy. But he learned how to do it, and it was great, and he did it, and, and we, we kept our people going. I, I'm not saying that to take credit. I'm just saying that, you know, this is how I've tried to fight to keep it open. And when our pa current pastor was ill, you know, I, I stepped up. I got behind the pulpit. I've, I've taken classes. I've tried to do things to help keep our church open for a while now but we have a leaking roof which okay initially that doesn't sound too bad we had a business meeting the other day uh, to agree that um, that we could search out uh, bids on fixing it, apparently we've got some um, shingles that are lifted up and maybe a couple are missing and there's a vent that needs some to be sealed up and you know the the out of the gate the, the first were oh we need a new roof and the person who said it was like oh yeah well, we got to have a new roof because this contractor said we got to have a new roof and he's able to do it and there were several of us that said whoa hold it wait a minute first off how do we know we need a full new roof just based on one guy's that's that's not responsible one guy's estimate is not responsible we need at least three if not more ideally three and then 
why don't we see just how much it will be to patch it because come the spring uh, the conference will open up grants and we'll be able to apply for a grant to see if we can get part of the cost of the of a new roof uh, granted to us then that'll reduce what we're going to have to have overall we can look at getting a metal roof so that we don't have to deal with a roof in the next hundred years you know um, so you know we, we have these options let's get an estimate on the cost of just patching that and getting us dried up enough to make it to to the spring when we can apply for the grant and we'll probably get it because they're usually pretty good there's not too many church coming at them all the time for those type of uh, maintenance issues so we'll probably get you know a, a good good portion of it I, I'd say at least a quarter to a half I don't have any guarantee of that but that's what I suspect so you know part of the conversation was well, how much is it going to cost we don't have that much money and you know we and it was like well why do you how are we going to get a new roof if we don't have the money for it well you know maybe this maybe that and we've got to decide something well I think we just did we decided to get the estimate on the patch until spring and then we'll see how much we can get you know in the grant so the person was not happy with that answer but they had to accept it then after that was resolved and we were starting to wind down it was like okay the, ma the major point of this meeting was to deal with this this roof issue and uh, now the treasurer comes to us and says you know our our contributions are really down and our our utilities are going up and um, if we if things don't change if we stay at this level that we're at right now we probably won't have enough money to operate come April and I stopped and I said what you're telling me that if everything stays the way it is right now we'll blow through all of our cash and we'll basically be out of money come April give or take yep <laughs> then I looked at that person and I said so what's the point in a new roof why are we going to put a new roof on a building we're about that, that we may have to close come May or June there's a dog eating behind me if you hear that noise I apologize he didn't need his breakfast but now he's eating it for lunch so I mean this this my brain started just to spin and scramble and I got kind of snippy and I owe a couple people apologies for that but I was really furious how dare you come to me and tell me and and I'm just gonna throw the number 5,000 out the rifts probably more than 5,000 but I'm just going to use that number how dare you tell you come and tell me as a member of the church you know uh, board uh, we have to pay out five thousand dollars to your preferred contractor with no other bids for a new roof and oh by the way we won't have enough money to run the church into the spring huh what's wrong with this picture it almost and 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 i'm i'm pr i'm praying for tolerance here and and i, I you i'm not allowed to judge people and i should not make this and it's really killing me because I'm not supposed to behave this way. It's but it's it's the it's the human in me. 
what 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 is this person are they trying to milk what little bit of money we've got out to this contractor knowing that we're not going to have any money and we're going to have to close oh, we're going to have to close the church anyway so let's just get a new roof so you can have some money I don't want to think that. I don't want to think that. And I don't want to project that. And I'm not trying to say that this person is doing that. I'm not. I don't have enough information to make that decision. But I'm I'm furious about this. I really am furious about this. First off, why are we only just now hearing about the dire financial straits of her church in October? This didn't just happen. We've talked. We've asked about finances before. Oh, it's all right. We're, we're fine. We're doing okay. It makes me want to go to the bank and get the bank uh, bank statements. It really does. I don't. I don't think that's what's happening. I really don't. It's this. It's just the human in me, the human nature in me, that's doing that. And that's something that we're supposed to rise above. And and I can do that with the help of the Lord. And but I just keep going. I I need to not do that, but I keep doing it. So I, I don't, I'm not trying to judge that person. I don't want to cast unfounded accusations on that person. These are just things that bubble up in my brain. So I'm praying on it. I'm praying on it. And we need ideas. And I'm asking for those of you who pray to Jesus uh, or pray to God through Jesus, I ask you to help uh, and pray as well. We, we need ideas on getting people back to the church. And I don't just mean the young people. We need old people back in the church too. You know, COVID is the excuse. It's just the excuse. COVID didn't blow up the church. The church was, was on a slow blow anyway. COVID just accelerated things a little bit. But the 1950s business model doesn't work on the 2022 church. And I'm not a fan of bringing some of these uh, pseudo-Christian rock kind of things in. I, that's not where we need to be. I don't think that does any good. I think it just it's just a, um, a way of trying to have what the rest of the world has and, and just call it Jesus. It's like, it's like putting, the, putting a sticker that says water on a can of beer and saying, oh, nope, nope, there it is. It's water. It says so right on the label. It's not. But our church, our, my particular church, uh, was designed when people walked. People walked. Our community was full. I mean, we had probably twice as many people in our community as we do now. And people walked to church on Sundays. So we don't even have a parking lot. I mean, people park on the street and there's not that many, much uh, street parking. But we can't do anything if the doors are shut. So I... Um, Christ charges us to spread the gospel. We have to do it. Um, but we can't do that very well if the doors are shut. Or maybe that forces us to wear out the soles of our sandals. And again, I'm going to state that I am a follower of Christ. Technically, I'm a member of the Methodist Church. But I put the teachings of Christ first. Not the Book of Discipline of the Methodist Church. So when I discuss religion or my religious beliefs and things, I'm speaking as a follower of Christ and not a representative of the United Methodist Church. So that's a wrap for us. Episode 2 of Hosting House pod- Podcast. Oh, watch me trip over my tongue in the last few minutes here. 
We premiered on Fountain Network. And if you found me on Fountain, I hope you will boost and clip and share all with all your friends and followers. If I bring you value, I hope you will give me value in return. So thanks so much. And we will see you next time. So there you have it. Post your comments, do all that boosting, liking, sharing, thumbs up, and stuff that helps spread the word and poke the algorithms. Follow me on most of the big social media platforms and look for my name, Robin Holstein, or Holstein House. Till next time, bye-bye.